Hello and welcome back to another episode of the There is a Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast. As always, I'm joined by Ed and Will. And I'm delighted to say that we are joined by one of my footballing heroes, Brian Howard, today. How are you, Brian? Oh, hope you're all well, guys. Yeah, there we good, are. Thank you. Very good, thank you. Um, so I think we're going to start from the beginning here. Um, of how did your career start? Because you had a, you had a spell at Southampton without actually making a league appearance. So um, how was that? It was. Um, I joined them as as a ten year old. Um, got scouted for the academy. Used to be at the old Dell. Then used to train at the Dell. Um, it was actually on TV the other week. I don't know if you guys saw it. The uh, when they done the, the Bob Higgins thing and that about the some of the horrible stories in football, uh, but yeah. Jim, we used to train in there. So I was a ten-year-old, and then when they, um, you know, done up the 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 training ground over over at Marchwood, joined up there. Um, I was doing particularly well. I was in the England youth setup, and you know they offered me a break straight away at kind of fifteen, sixteen. So signed there, and then just like I said, it's there wasn't really that pathway for me. Um, you know, I was in and around the first team, training with the first team all the time, but just never kind of got that breakthrough. And, you know, I got to 19, 20 years old and they would got to the FA Cup semi, uh, FA Cup final that year against Arsenal and finished seventh in the Premier League. And it was just, right, you know, I'm not going to get busy. Yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned that you were in the England youth setup. I mean, what was that like in, in the early 2000s? It was incredible. Um, yeah, I remember playing in the Victory Shield in 1999. Um, obviously, many years ago for a lot of people listening. But, you know, to get the experience playing live on TV as a schoolboy and, you know, playing with some really good players and against some good players. And, you know, we managed to then play at the old Wembley that summer. Uh, played against Argentina and, you know, lucky to score a goal at Wembley. And, and Carlos Tevez scored for them and I think Michael Chopra scored the other. So, some good names played in that game. I mean, yeah. you said about, obviously, being a young lad, being around the Southampton first team and stuff. You know, there must have been some players. I mean, were you at Southampton when the likes of Matt Letizio were there? Yep, so no tears really well. Um, still play um, far behind with a lot of those boys now. Obviously, live, I live back down in the area, so yeah. still, still see a lot of tears. And, you know, people like James Beattie, Marion Pahars, you know, they had some squad. Um, and yeah. a lot of players that were kind of ending their career were coming, you know, like Andrew Kinchelski, Mark Hughes, Mark Draper, Roy Glapzer at the time, Anders Svensson, Joe Tessum, like some some fantastic pros to, to learn off and all brilliant people as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sort of moving on from, from your time at the Saints, um, it sort of said, you said in the Under the Cosh podcast that, that you train with Chelsea, I mean, how close did you get to signing a contract with them? Really close, yeah. There was, um, there was a young player called Joe Keenan who was in, you know, got involved in that England youth setup as well, and he decided to leave Southampton and go to Chelsea. Um, and then I kind of spoke to him and said that I'm going to be leaving Southampton and looking at other opportunities. And the guy from Chelsea called me up and said, "Yeah, we'd love to have you in here. Um, we're looking at bringing through young players. We've got no money, um, and yeah, we need to try and qualify for the Champions League." Yeah, would you be interested? So I got my contract paid up at Southampton and, and went there for the last few months of the season. Uh, lived in the hotel Stamford Bridge and yeah, I got to train with the likes of Zola, SIE, uh, Hasselbank, John Terry, Frank Lampard. So again, it was it was an incredible experience and 
went away that summer to the the Toulon tournament with the England under twenties, and the two and a half weeks were out. I thought I was coming back to sign the contract at Chelsea, and uh, Abramovich had bought the club. They'd already signed Varon, Joe Cole, uh, Crespo. I thought, well, if I couldn't get into Saints side, there's no chance on on getting in this. So yeah. it was a it was a phone call to the agent and said, look, what what other opportunities are there for me? Yeah, yeah and and then obviously came along the move to Swindon. I mean. As a player, do you think those were your your formative years, sort of, at Swindon? I mean, yeah, you you always learn off all, all the players, like I've just spoke about. But you know, it's it's playing first team football that you you want to be involved in. Um, and you know, my at the time just taking Sam Parkin from Chelsea to Swindon. That's a little I minute mean, Swindon. They quite like you. Would you like to to come in and have a look? So I went in there for two days and and um, thought we got a good chance of of getting promotion. Um, and signed there, and, and absolutely loved my time there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it it, it sort of says in in your, in your career on on Wiki that um, that you moved to the wing in your second year at, at Swindon. I mean, what was that like, having been used to a more central role? Uh, no, I was actually, you know, bought as kind of a wide winger, and then like a number right. ten. Yeah. Uh, so I played I played wide left for the first season at, at Swindon. Um, and then, you know, we lost a couple of players. You know, we were struggling financially. We used to get paid by check. Um, and I, you know, I said, spoke to the gaffer and said, look, I want to play central midfield. Mm. And he moved me in there and it, that kind of then kicked on from, from into being a central midfield player. Yeah, yeah. And um, this obviously alerted a couple of clubs, you know, your foreman. How did, how did you come about signing for Barnsley then? Again, we like I said, we used to get paid by check by Swindon. It was always late. We were struggling for money, and, and when we didn't go up, they said that we can't afford to to offer contracts to people of what they're earning. And you know, I, I kind of looked, saw all the boys leaving, and thought, you know, I don't really think this is you know the future for me. Um, you know, I need to. I want to get out of this league. I want to play in the Championship. I want to go to a club that's progressive. And so, I got a phone call from from Andy, the gaffer at the time, Andy Ritchie and, and Rick Holden, went up and met them, saw the stadium um, in, in the England youth setup. I already knew of Paul Reed, Neil Austin was my roommate for a bit, and um, and Anthony Kay. So I spoke to those boys and they said, yeah, look, we're building a young squad. We're going we'll to get a chance of promotion next year. So went up there and thought, yeah, this this is a challenge I really, really fancy. Yeah, um, I mean, you talk about uh, Neil Austin and Anthony Kay. Um, I mean, there was there was a. I think there was still a, a drinking culture that was um, sort of prevalent around football at that time. I mean, what was it like as a, as a young lad in Yorkshire? Yeah, it, it was great. I think um, uh, obviously you can't really do what we maybe did back then. You know, we probably went out a bit too much, but it was a team spirit we had. You know, we had a, such a young team. You know, all, nearly all the lads were under twenty four. Uh, done everything together. We, you know, we, we trained together, worked hard together, and then you know we, we done a lot of stuff off the field, golf, and you know a few nights out in bonding sessions. So I think it really helped with that squad. Yeah. Um, do you, Do you want to ask about sort of the uh, the playoff campaign then, Will? Yeah, I mean, you you obviously like you said you moved to that Barnsley side. Um, knowing you had a decent, you know, decent set of lads, and that promotion might have been a, a goal. Um, at what stage of the season was it where you thought, actually, you know, we're really on something here, um, and promotion was like a real objective? 
probably from February onwards, like we're, we're in the mix here. We've got a great opportunity. Let's actually knuckle down, get our heads down, work hard. Mm. We've got an opportunity to get promoted here. And I said, we just had a confidence and a, and a team spirit that we went out there and, you know, managed to get the job done. And, you know, I think we got beat 1-0 by Huddersfield in, in the first game. And, we you know, the gaffer went absolutely ballistic at us. And we had a meeting between us and said, look, that ain't good enough. We've come this far to chuck it away now. And I think that, yeah, the second leg, we were outstanding. Um, you know, well worthy winners at the time. And then we went down to, to Cardiff and we were fully confident that we were going to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, what what was that, that game like? Because, I mean, by all accounts going into that game, Swansea were, were firm favourites and, you know, they had the likes of Lee Trundle playing for them at the time, who was, you know, regarded as one of the top prospects outside of the top division. So I think it'd be fair to say we scraped through that final. I would say I'm wrong in that. I, I don't know. I thought, I thought we started the game really well. Obviously, we went 1-0 up. Uh, and we were always well in the game. I think, yeah, you know, I, I come off injured. A couple of other people will come off. Uh, so when it went to penalties, I think three of the penalty takers actually come off. So I think that was probably the only time that I felt a bit nervous thinking we practice penalties in the in the build-up to the, the game. And three of your five penalty takers are now on the bench. Um yeah. But every single one that stepped up were, were, were class pens, and you know, obviously, um, Nicky Colgan was great in nets. Yeah, yeah. And then it's um, it was a, a championship season for the Reds, and I think if you ask most Barnsley fans of the memories of that first first year in in the championship, a, a game that springs to mind would be the Barnsley versus Leeds game. I think, I think we won the game three two, and it, it was live on ITV. I mean. What were your, your memories like of that first season back in the Championship? I'd worked hard to get into the Championship. I always felt I was more than comfortable to play there. So I remember before the first game at Cardiff, you know, do you think you're, you're ready to step up? Do you think you can do it? And then went out and probably scored the best goal of my career. Um, I thought, yeah, I'll let my, my feet do the talking. And then, like I said, that Leeds game is probably one of my favourite games in my career because my brother's a Leeds fan. Uh, and they came up the night before and they stayed and in the morning they were giving me a saying you can't beat us and you know, like sort of topsy turvy game being being two one down, get it get it back to two all and then swinging one in with my right foot, sliding on my knees in front of my brother and his mate and then their head uh, their heads were in their hands and then from being on the floor and looking around me, all the boys were on top of me and then seeing, you know, Reebok classics and trainers all around me, all the fans running on the pitch and <laughs> Yeah, just just incredible memories. Yeah, and then I mean, we, we've got to ask you about this, but we'll sort of start off at, at, at the start of the 0708 season. And um, was it was, what was Simon Davy like as a manager for you? Uh, it's a difficult start because he came in and dropped me the first game. Um, yeah. Didn't give me a reason why. Wouldn't tell me why. Uh, just said, look, I'll pick this team. Um, and I remember on the bench it was nil nil at home to Ipswich at the time um and he made a couple of subs and then I warmed up and the fans were obviously singing my name wanted me on the pitch and then he turned around and said you've brought a lot of family here today then haven't you and <laughs> I turned around and said something like no nah, no people some people are just not a good player um <laughs> but he, he then deliberately made another yeah deliberately made another sub I was on the bench and then Grab McCann who came in and took my place scored a 94th minute winner and I just sort of sat there and thought done here this is me done at the club got off to this yeah. well shocking start players that's taken my place to scored the winner um 
But like, lucky for me, Grant got injured while scoring the winner. Um, I went in the next day, trained like an absolute madman. He started, and I scored after about 20 minutes. And we kind of just grew from there, really. He knew how hard I worked and how you know, I wanted to train. And then, you know, within a few months, I was you know, captain for him. So it was you know, a crazy turnaround. If you, if you asked me that after the first game, that I'll be captain of the club in a few months' time, I'd have you know, thought you're taking a piss. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'll probably let Will ask this, but, I mean, that FA Cup run, I mean, the first question I want to ask you is, does it slightly frustrate you at times that sometimes your career is defined by, you know, one game or two games? Um, Not really. I'd rather be remembered for something good than, you know, a few hundred games, whatever, you're okay. I like it that people say, oh, that's some memory and, like, you know, it's... It's such a famous goal and, and a famous game. You know, wherever I go now, people always ask me about it. And even the little things like the end of clips on TV with Matt Letizia doing the commentary on the game on Sky. And obviously, he, he watched me grow up as a kid. So all of, everything kind of fell into place perfectly that day. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've got to ask, I mean, start of that cup run, I mean, we beat Blackpool, I think it was. And then, I mean, in the fourth round, I can't even remember who we played, but a Liverpool game. Wait. Do you remember? Sorry. Wait, Jamal um, Campbell Rice um, scored an absolute worldie, one nil. Yeah. Um. And so the Liverpool game at Anfield. Can you sort of tell us what was going through your head? It's sort of like half an hour intervals because we you know, we went one nil down, and then and Stephen Foster scored an equaliser at one one. How how was how were the team feeling? Um. Yeah, I think we said before the game, look, just don't, you know, chuck it away in the first half, stay in the game. And defended our lives, probably could have been three or four down, but you're getting at half time and you're only one nil down, you kind of go, let's give it a go, 45 minutes, let's just smash it and see how it, see how it goes. And like I said, Davos whipped in a great ball, brilliant header from Fozzie. And you go, actually... But we got a chance. Again, we still rode our luck at times. Obviously, Steely was unbelievable. You know, Bobby Assel and Rob Coslett remember chucking their bodies on the line. And yeah. you know, as the game goes on, you think we'll get one more. Chance. We'll, we'll get one more. Um, you know, it should have been a blatant penalty. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Even you know, when people show me that goal back now and go and watch the build up and go, how, how is he not giving that penalty? Um, <laughs> But luckily, because I, cause I was irate and I chased him 20 yards down the pitch, I was in a position to pick the ball up and, you know, managed to, to kind of go around Chevy Alonso and, and find the bottom corner. I mean, when you say it like that, you know, just casually take it around Chevy Alonso, put it in the bottom corner in front of the cop. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, but like he got removed to Real Madrid and then I end up at Chef Hugh, so something went wrong somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um... But yeah, it, what was that Liverpool team like? Do you, do you remember sort of that battle with with, with Alonso in the middle middle of the park? Yeah, uh, him and Lucas Leiva started in the centre of the park. Um, so you think I'm playing against two international players straight away? This is going to be a tough game. I need to be up for it. Uh, I just relished it, loved the challenge, and then you know they just bring on this other player called Steven Gerrard, and you think, oh, this is <laughs> uh, getting any easier and. Yeah, but again, you just see, like, these are some of the best players in the world. You know, I, I want to prove myself. Similar to what I said before, you know, I, I trained with those kind of players growing up. So I've always fancied that, you know, I, I can have a good go against these. And, you know, lucky that day that, you know, on top. Yeah. And you were, you were, you were named in the, in the, uh, 
the FA Cup team around, um, not surprisingly, and then came along uh, a certain Chelsea side who'd, who'd won the league uh, two years previous to that and were in a Champions League final that year. I mean, what was that like? Again, at that point, you're just relishing it and, you know, we've gone and rode our luck at Anfield, but we thought, well, at home at Oakwell, you know, under the lights, they're, they're not going to fancy coming here if, if we, you know, get after them after the first minute. You know, let's, let's see what... And I thought, you know, we did provide our luck at Anfield and you know, like I said, maybe did scrape through that one to beat Chelsea. Um, you know, we'd, we'd had, we had other opportunities. I don't think they had any clear-cut chances. Um, and I thought the boys were absolutely fantastic, every single one of them. I mean, there's the... Obviously, when it was uh, Kaido Adejayi who obviously eventually got the goal, you know, what that moment when he, when he scored... That I mean, that must just have been unreal as a player. Sort of the fans literally went mental. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, yeah, in front of the pond, the end, like yeah. yeah, the whole place erupted. It was yeah, incredible. I mean, there was probably what I mean it was about half an hour to go. Still, it must be hard to sort of keep your head in that moment and think, well, now we've got to hold on to this, you know, for remainder of the match. I think it changes, like I said before. We you know we got after him after the first minute and. You know, when you're pushing and, and trying to get that goal, you get that goal with half an hour to go and you think, Cole, we could do this again here. We're, we're half an hour for Wembley. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the game, the mindset does change and you do think, right, we do need to defend. We do need to not be so gung-ho and, you know, can't, you know, have too many players too far up the pitch. And like I said, I think, you know, the boys done a fantastic job and we managed to keep them out. Yeah. And, and obviously you're into the semi-final of the FA Cup and that Cardiff game I mean I remember it clear as day even if I was you know very young it could have gone so differently that day and you know I'd argue we were probably better than Cardiff on the day I mean what is it like firstly to to be the captain of a side in an FA Cup semi-final leading your team out at Wembley? I think you know People ask about the magic of the cup. Yeah, you know, myself growing up, the FA Cup was huge. It was FA Cup final every year. You know, lived away from a park. We'd all be out on the pitch playing, thinking, you know, getting ready for the cup final. Go in, watch the cup final, and then you're back out on the on the grass. And whoever scored the winning goal, yeah, you're scoring goals. You were him. So FA Cup was always huge for me growing up. So, you know, growing up saying if I could captain my my team, my club. At Wembley, it's kind of a dream come true moment. Yeah, yeah, and and that game. I mean, we were so unlucky to, to lose that game. I mean, if if Oda Jai slots that chance, um, I'd argue we get to an FA Cup final, and then you know where do you go from there? But I mean, being in the PFA Championship team the year that year is still being at Barnsley. Do you think that's sort of what fueled your your what your wish? I'd say to to get to the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I think it was it's probably the proudest moment of my career because it's voted for by fellow players. And players can be hard and harsh at times and other players. You know, everyone thinks they're better than each other. So to get that credit and, and be recognised by your fellow pros and your peers, then, you know, so, I, mean, I think, you know, from that, there was a lot of interest in me that summer. But I think with that on the top of the other bits, you kind of price got too heavy um, and obviously we couldn't agree a new contract at the time or, or wasn't offered one um, it became a difficult moment after that 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this is something I really wanted to ask you. Like, was the famous Patrick uh, crying quote, if Michael Tong's worth three million and Brian Howard's worth 10. Um, do you think that hindered you in, in either A, getting a new contract, you know, pay me as a 10 million pound player would be paid or B, sell me? I mean, do you think that hindered your chance of making a move to the Premiership? I think so. Yeah, there, there was definitely clubs interested at, you know, kind of four million. Um then you kind of get a £10 million price tag put in your head. I remember I didn't see it. I was on holiday. And I remember getting a phone call from someone saying, have you seen this quote? And it's like, wow, where's that come from? Yeah. Um, so you kind of say, look, well, if I'm valued at that, this kind of hit. Okay. Um, there was a couple of other players that got offered new deals. So I said, where's my new deal? And then got silly because it said, well, will you sign it? I said, well, it depends what you offer me. Well, we're not going to offer you one unless you sign it. And I said, well, you found me at 10 million, then my 10 million pound player's contract. So unless it is that we're offering, um, yeah. and it just got, yeah, it just became a situation that it didn't need to happen. Yeah. And I mean, do you think some uh, Barnsley fans weren't told the entire truth about that? Because I mean, sadly there was, a, there was quite a fair amount of bitterness at the time when, when you did move to Sheffield United. I completely understand it. it you know, it's, it's a local rivals. It's, you know, the kind of hatred between the clubs. But full story was never you know, allowed to come out. You know, I had to sign a disclaimer to say, you know, I couldn't talk about it at the time. So I was never allowed to say my piece. Um, went in, but they said it can't go through until the following week. And I was still made to go to the game on the Saturday. And so leaked it to the to the press and, and to the, the websites and the fan zones and, and the bits that I'd had in a transfer request and said, I'm only going. So I remember, I remember it now, we were at home to Norwich and, you know, the, the abuse that I got from the fans, it was like, you know, some you what they want you to, definitely not the truth, but I had, to, I had to suck it up and, and take it on board and deal with it because I had to look after my career. Yeah, yeah, and um, obviously complete the move to Sheffield United, and this is probably an entirely different subsection in terms of the managers that you played under. One manager that I'm really interested in asking you about is, what is Kevin Blackwell like? <laughs> obviously, if you've listened to the Under the Coshes, then you know what a lot of people think. <laughs> um, I got on okay with Blackie. Um he, yeah, I, I found him all right. We never really fell out. Never really, you know, Reading came in for me. He was good as gold. We said, look, I don't want to lose you, but I understand it's, you know, club and, yeah, you can move back down south and, you know, probably get a better contract. And he said, so it's up to you. And, you know, kind of those, all those things happened. So, yeah, I got on fine with him. Uh, there was probably the instance of that. I've said the story on, on other things, but, you know, I asked him what he wanted for me as a number 10. Uh, obviously, we, we did play a bit of long ball and I wasn't really getting on the ball. I was playing and we were doing well and the team was flying, but I wasn't kind of dominating games like I did before at previous clubs in the centre of the park. And he pulled me in and said, well, you know, how how are you 25 years old and don't know number 10? I said, well, I've always played central mid, but I'm just, I was only asking the question. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're not centre mid, you're number 10. All the goals you've been scoring, you must be a number 10. And um, pulled out all the scouting sheets, and everyone was like, centre mid, centre mid, centre mid, centre mid. <laughs> I'll apologise. 
And I said, okay, like, no problem. It was only, you know, kind of getting to the bottom of it. We went out and trained. We'd done team shake. We went 4-4-2 and I was on the bench. So it probably didn't work out great. Um, when you were at uh, Sheffield United, obviously you went on another playoff uh, campaign. How, how or did that differ to when you were at Barnsley, you know, with the squad? Was it that similar kind of uh, whole team getting together or was that slightly different, um, obviously being at a slightly higher level? Because what you had then at that time was, you know, you had Gary Speeds, Hugo Ekiog, Sanji Highs, James Beatties, kind of all players in the Premier League that are, you know, older in their, than a group of kind of mid-twenties of myself, Billy Sharp, um, Matty Kilgallen, that group. And then you had, obviously, Carl Norton and, and Carl Walker in there, like two young lads. So wasn't really a squad done everything together because everyone had different situations in their life, but still everyone got on great. There was a different feel to it, but you looked around it and I mentioned some of the names there, the quality that was there, the, you know, it was criminal, really, that we didn't go up that year. Yeah, yeah. and then you, you moved to, to Reading. And could you tell from when you signed at Reading that, that this was a side that, you know, I mean, I know they got promoted, you know, a season after, but could you tell that there was the groundwork there for a side that could dominate in the championship? One of the reasons I wanted to go, obviously, I wasn't desperate to leave Sheffield United. Um, you know, I was playing every week there. And then, you know, me a call and... Uh, I do want to play as an attacking midfielder. We're going to play a certain brand of football, which you see Brendan's teams do now. Um, yeah. And he just excited me. Um, just be different to what I'm kind of in now. Um, I went down there and absolutely loved it. You know, best coach I've, I've, I've worked under, Brendan. Like, absolutely fantastic person. Brilliant coach. Um, just just enjoyed every day. And it was just really unlucky that, I think after about five or six games, maybe that, I was there playing for him. Um, I broke jaw, so I was out for a bit. And in that time, the team didn't do great. And sadly, he lost his job. And, um, you know, I was gutted, really, because by the time I come back, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a change to the style and a change to the team. The, the, again, the players we had in that squad were, were fantastic, really. I mean, start looking at Gilfie Sigurdsons, people like that. It's class players, Ryan Bertrands. And there you were know, loads of lads that have gone on and, and had played Premier League careers. Uh, and um, how come you don't think it really worked out, Reading? Do you think that that jaw injury really halted your progression at the club? Um, I think the change in management mm. are those where a similar one with Simon Davy that I won him over and ended up captain for a bit, and then for whatever reason he tried to he changed a couple of bits, and you know, I found myself playing as much as I wanted to be playing, and you know I used to take. Uh, difficult and you know, I wanted to play I was never being around sat on the bench being being a you know, squad player I, I was there to play I'm in my mid-20s I'm in my prime and you know I was you know training really hard every day I was you know one of the best players every day in training you know all the other players you know it's like you come up and say oh you're not playing well, I remember we signed Benny Afobi on loan and Benny said oh, have you been injured and I said no and he said you suspended I said no he goes how, how, how are you not playing best player in and I said well go and ask go and ask him because he's back in the team um, and then when, when we did have a serious falling out after one game and I think once that happened there was no way back 
Uh, and uh, uh, then then Reading obviously lose the playoff final with you as a, an unused sub, and then the season after you had a couple of loan moves. I mean, I'm really interested to ask you about your time at Portsmouth. I mean, it was a dark time for the club, but what was it like being being the captain of, of a club in in a situation like that? It was, it was tough. It was a tough year, really, because I, I loved it at Reading. I, I enjoyed being there, everything like that. But you know, again, I wasn't getting the game time and. You know, Millwall came and loaned for me, um, and you know the gaffer pulled me in and said, "Look, you're next one off the bench. You'll 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 be in the team, but if you want to go to football, I won't stand in your way." And I was like, "No, I'm going." Um, went to Millwall. Karachan kind of came in, took my place on the bench, then got in. And they went on a brilliant run, and I thought oh, it could have been me, but I went loan to Millwall and played particularly well, done well. Uh, but my dad fell ill um, at the time, and I, I wanted to be home so yeah I'm a kind of really in my life and you know, I kind of took my mind off football because I just wanted to be around uh, spend as much time as I could with my dad um, he then sadly passed away that summer and, and there was a few offers on the table and Portsmouth you know they trained in Eastley which is where my mum lives everything like that just fit you know they, they were promised they were getting bought out I spoke to Michael Appleton he said look we're going to get bought out I want you to be my captain and I build a team around you we're going to get back-to-back promotions, blah, blah, blah. I thought, you know, massive club, Portsmouth fans are brilliant. Every time I played there, loved it. Um, took the chance and then the investment never come. Behind the scenes, the club was falling apart. You know, we had, we had players turn up on a Friday that never met anyone. We had two two players turn up on a Saturday before a game, hour and a half before a game, uh, introduced themselves and then starting on that day. It was, you know, players were coming and going. It was just, it was a real tough time for everyone. Yeah, and yeah, it sounded sounds awful. And and what was what was your thinking process like playing there? Because I'm sure it's so hard to concentrate on a game whilst you know that there's a chance you know your wages might not be paid and that the club may be even going bust. Um, I think just try to keep it professional. Um, you just you know stuff that you can't control really. So you just got to make sure you're you're training right every day, you're living right, you're, you know, you're working hard, you're doing what you can on a match day. Um, but then, you know, it's kind of getting up to January time and the boys, everyone's contracts were up and they couldn't afford to give everyone, you know, the contracts they were on. Uh, I had a double hernia at the time, which I was struggling to play with, but they were saying you've got to play because, you know, we're paying contracts. You've got to play because we need you. And... I was doing myself no favours, the club no favours really because you know, I wasn't fit enough to play and you know, as soon as they said, look, we can't renew your contract, we can't afford to do it, uh, you know, I had to get the operation done straight away because I know I'll be moving in January. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, Sorry, Edgar. I was going to say, so after uh, you spell at Portsmouth, you had a short spell at Bristol City, what was that like? Uh, again, it's another difficult one because I just had this double hernia uh, operation so you know, I went in there and said, look, you know, obviously need to build my fitness up and, and, and get right. And the gaffer said, yeah, look, come on, just, you know, work hard and, and you're going to come in, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And, and it was a struggling team. It shouldn't have been because the squad, again, was, was some really good players in it. Um, you know, I just struggled to ever get fully fit, really, and, and challenge for a first-team starting spot every week. And, you know, sadly we went down and, you know, it was a similar one where, you know, getting halved and people being released and that because... Obviously, you go down the division financially. You can't can't afford to keep people. So, obviously, left there then, and then you kind of go, "Right, well, 
a crossroads in my career, really. Where do I go from here? And I just fancied the change and, and wanted to try something new. Yeah, I mean, you say something new. You obviously ended up going to CSK Sofia in Bulgaria, which is, you know, slightly different to Portsmouth and Bristol City. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, you said you fancied a change. Was that, by a change, did you always mean, you know, going international, uh, moving elsewhere? Uh, yeah, yeah, I always fancied playing abroad. I had two opportunities to go to America at the same time and got offered, you know, sort of, yeah, at my agent at the time phoned me up and said, look, come to London, got this meeting and went and met the Bulgarian chairman and then there was um, an English guy had bought the club. So went for dinner with them in London. They said, look, we want to get this club back into Europe. Um, these are the players we're going to be signing, kind of Martin Petrov, Mama Sidabi, yourself, plus the, the young internationals and the players they had there then. Um, yeah, what I went out to Sofia, had a couple of days there, lovely city, amazing place. Uh, and just, yeah, I just fancied, I thought this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ch- yeah, it's probably my only chance now, really, at this stage of my career, 30 years old, to to go in Europe. Uh, but again, financially, the club, after properly, we weren't getting paid properly. Um, I had people knocking my door in my apartment because... The, the rent wasn't paid and the bills weren't paid which was part of my contract it's never in my contract so I paid it um, so it was yeah difficult times again and you go right I need to I need to come back to England and yeah managed to get the opportunity at Birmingham yeah I mean while you're actually playing in Bulgaria you know how much does that differ to sort of the English leagues in terms of not just quality but sort of a whole experience of a player you know the fans out there are known for being sort of quite ultra what was it like so off with you know the fans are absolutely crazy you know just yeah I love stuff and gets you going for a game fireworks getting thrown on the pitch and so that was it was just yeah real interesting experience and you know some of the games were were weird though you'd play kind of Levski and you'd play uh, Ludogratz and and the top teams and it would be like a top champ you know fixture it would be in a real tough game and then you play some of the teams at the bottom and they haven't been paid their money so some of the players won't turn up and I played right back in one game and won 7-0 so some of the quality there wasn't there So then sort of the, the back end of your career um, you had a spell at Birmingham City Oxford United and then in the conference with Eastleigh and, and some other um, lower league clubs what was that sort of like? Um, so Birmingham started off great. I think they got man of the match on the debut, then scored against Derby in the next game. Um, yeah, I loved being back. And then um, and I broke my toes in the Derby game. So, you know, a few weeks out, sort of them. And then the gaffer said, look, keep just playing the 23s, have 60 minutes just to get fit because you'll play at the weekend. And um, a couple of boys got injured, so I had to play the full game. And it was a cup game, went to extra time. You know, I nicked the ball past someone and where the, you know, the team we were playing were tired, smashed my ankle. And then, again, that was that was me done. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was out injured. So, difficult time again. And then you get to the summer and, uh, and then you're looking at another club again. Yeah. yeah. And it's... What is it like as a, as a footballer when you get to that sort of crossroads at the sort of the back end of your career what is it like to have to accept that that you're no longer you know a professional footballer it's tough I, I found I went from Birmingham to Oxford pretty much I just wanted to stay down south again and 
Mark Lapperton, who was my manager at, at Birmingham, uh, oh, sorry, at uh, Portsmouth, as was manager, and said, look, we want you to bring you in, want some experience, want some quality, and played in League Two, and I just really struggled with it. Um, and I felt myself becoming that old bit of pro in the dressing room and thought this isn't right, and, you know, come to an agreement that, you know, I'd go by my hometown club. They were doing really well. I thought if I could just finish by getting my hometown club promoted, you know, if we get promoted, I have one more year. Um, you know, I want to try that. And then, you know, obviously we lost in the play. And I just remember being on the bus on the way home from Grimsby um, in Chips, just thinking, yeah, this is me done. Uh, I've, I've, I've had enough. And I went to Eastleigh. We only trained three days a week. So it started to start to meet young players, start to go to, to different games and, and get involved in the agency side. I, I you know, learned about it a lot. And just thought, you know, I'm going to get a head start on my transition and, and retire earlier than probably what I should have, and um, yeah. and go into that. So yeah, it was uh, it was probably the best decision I made. Yeah, and what is it? How how did someone get into the the football intermediary sort of business? Because it's something that's been let's say let's say it's been glamorized by the likes of your super agents these days. You know, your your Mino Riolas. Um, yeah. What what is it like? try to get into that business it's tough it's really tough industry like i said everyone looks at it and thinks oh i can be an agent i can work in football it's really fun you can earn lots of money but the reality is that you know you've got to, you've got to be good at it you've got to have contacts you've got to be yeah it's literally 24 7 you know well it goes to so many games so many traveling you know build up your contacts you've got to then sign clients you've got to look after them so they don't leave you you obviously got to part with other agents and trying to nick your clients. It's it's, it's yeah. a tough industry. Yeah. You talk about trying to trying to change the stereotype around football agents. Um, how do you try and go about doing that? Uh, trying to be a good person, really, uh, and do the job right. Put the players first. I mean, you know, I, I had a few different agents in my career, and uh, yeah, learned a lot from them. But, you know, what you see is some of these, maybe the super agents and some of the others, you know, they, they'll see a young player or see a player and think, well, I'll see pound notes. You know, there's a move there. I can move him and I can do this and I can do that. Where really, for me, you know, I want what's best for the player. I don't want to move him somewhere where he's going to be unhappy or not in the team and not playing just for my own financial gains. You know, I, I want players to be happy and, and you know, be you know, spurred on in. Just try and be, like you said, do everything above board and be a good person. Yeah, um, like so in a, so everyday transfer. What is sort of yeah. your role, like step by step, of, of your involvement with that? Um, yeah, you'll be speaking to clubs, you know, any interested parties. The um, player will be sold. Whether the club will will sell him, whether a player's been released. So it's got to have all the information possible and then you know, you've got to speak to all the clubs that are potentially interested to to see what they're going to offer, see what the plans and the pathways are for the player and just give the client as much kind of real-time info as possible. Yeah, and um, it's something that's not really talked about a lot, but um, what, what clubs would you say are best to deal with? Uh difficult one really um yeah we, we deal with quite a lot we, 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 you probably can't say yeah uh, <laughs> yeah are terrible i think, I think, I think we, we, 
yeah, we're, we're stronger with some clubs than others. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever really fallen out of any clubs. I think, as I said before, we try and do everything above board, make sure we do everything right. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, nearly all of them are, are great to deal with. I've had no real issues touch with. Yeah. In 2015, um, it, you know, football agency was deregulated. Um, do you think that's a positive move? needs to be regulated. Um, there's so many problems now with with young players um, going with people maybe they shouldn't do because you know these these guys might have some money behind them or something and see that you know there is money to get in football and you know players properly. So you know for me, you do need some sort of regulation on it to to make sure for the players' protection. Yeah, and. Um... One is probably one of my last questions that, that I want to ask you is um, players who, who you and Phil represent, is it is it sort of a process of over time you gain their trust or will you sign them down to contracts for you to represent them? That's a contract. So an agent's rep contract is for two years. Um, so you have them from two years and you solely you look after that player uh, and, and do the contracts and then two years and, you know hopefully they resign and, and we've set a few boys out of contracts now and they've all resigned we've managed to sign a few new ones so you know we're doing okay at the moment and normally you know when boys are signed you know they're, they're happy to resign and stay with you yeah and uh, well first I'd like to say thank you for coming on but I think we've sort of got through everything and there's there's one final question that I'd like to ask you is um how would you like to be remembered? Oh, as a player or as a person? Um, sort of both, sort of a, a fusion of, of the <laughs> pair. Um, as a player, probably someone that, that always worked hard, always wanted to win. Um, you know, and entertain, uh, as well as being a winner. So probably that. I think just as a person, especially moving into this side, just, you know, an honest guy who, who works with integrity and just always wants to work hard and, and do the best I possibly can to help as many people as I can. Yeah. And, um, well, like I said, you've really helped us by coming on this podcast. So thank you very That's much. That's great. Yeah, thank thanks you very, very much. much. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do drop it a like on YouTube or if you're listening on Apple, please drop us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Bloodlightpod, and thank you for listening. Thanks, guys.